want you to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 10. We're starting a brand new series. Brand new series. I'm so excited about this series. It's called Alive and Free. And it's really about how to live, how to live free from all of your past. How to live free from the things that have kind of glommed on to you over time. How to live free in Jesus. And last week was Resurrection Sunday. And on Easter, we celebrate people coming alive. We celebrate, first of all, Jesus himself coming alive, giving his life for us, dying on the cross. But he was raised to life in resurrection power. And as he was raised to life, that power then is available to all of us. And so as that power raises us to life, as we let go of our old life, as we surrender our life to Christ, we die to ourselves, we become alive in him. But then something very profound happens. He begins to set us free. We're not only alive, we're not only a new creation, but something begins to happen with us. A process where Jesus begins to teach us how to live. Oh, how I wish that it was just Totally done in one act, in one prayer. <laughs> what a bummer. <laughs> but, but and, and it's foolish to think that all of our problems or all of our issues go away as soon as God begins to create us as a new person. What happens is, what happens is our old stuff tries to kind of continue to take advantage of us. It tries to stay with us. We're going to read this passage about how the thief comes in and tries to, tries to steal what you have, tries to convince you that this isn't true. But what, what happens is you have to learn how to live free in the identity that you've received in Jesus. And the devil wants to convince you it's not true. Oh, this isn't true. It's not happening. You, you can't, you're not living a new life. This, he didn't do any work in you. No, it's not true. It's a lie from the enemy. But what he's doing and what God's doing is he's using your problems now, using some of the, the, the baggage that you've carried and, and his work in your life and his healing to demonstrate to you that he is who he says he is and that he wants to free you from your past, from your shame, from the issues that have held on to you for far too long. And here's what leads me to think this way. I know a lot of believers. I know a lot of Christians they, 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 it's like they've met Jesus, but they don't know him very well. And I think this is a problem. I see far too many Christians, far too many believers who know Jesus in theory, but their lives are full of, of habits, sins. We call them issues. <laughs> Some of you just need to face it. These issues that have held on to your life for so long, it's sin trying to take root in your life. And what you have to do is understand who you are in Christ and then begin to live according to his way, his truth, his life. That's what makes you free. So let's take a look at the scriptures and let's, and, and, and let's see what the Lord has to say to us about living free. All right, John chapter 10, let's pray. Father, open up the scriptures to us, illuminate them, cause us to be able to obey them. Give us the grace that we need, the favor that we need, revelation that's beyond our own thinking. 
And Lord, set us free today. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. This may be a familiar passage to some of you, but John 10.10 says, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come, Jesus said, that they may have life and have it to the full. Have it to the full means in its fullness, in all that it provides. Another, another passage says abundantly, abundance. Life that is abundant, life that is beyond the way you imagine it. Life that has unlimited possibilities. That's what we talked about last week. Life that is so much more than you could ask for, more than enough. Everything you need. And he says, Jesus says, I came to bring this life to you. He wants us to experience this life. But often, we don't experience this life. Because the thief comes in and tries to steal what we have. Notice, notice the, the idea here is, Jesus is talking about sheep. He's talking about being the gate that the sheep enter into. The only way that any sheep can come in is by him, by the gate. And so he's talking about people who are his sheep. Notice in verse 1, if you look at verse 1, he says, I tell you the truth, the man who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs, up, climbs by in by some other way is a thief and a robber. Anyone who tries to come in through any way other than Christ is a thief and a robber. Any other thing that tries to enter our lives in any other way besides through the lens and filter of who Jesus is is a thief and a robber trying to, trying to rob you of the life that Jesus wants to give you. And so I don't want you to just be alive in him. I don't want you to just be a, a, a Christian that every Sunday sort of has to repent over and over again from something that has a grip on your life that you can't be free from. Even though the forgiveness of Christ is wonderful and he does forgive you as you repent and as you rely on him, as you surrender your life again, it, there is power in that. Jesus is enough. He is provision. But what he wants for you and for me is to live free of those things. And listen, if you're here in this room and you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, you can be free too. You can be free too. The doorway is knowing who Jesus is. And so I want us to look at, if you just turn in your Bible one page over to the left in John chapter 8, we're going to look at this passage here. John chapter 8. Verse 31 says, To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. And then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. I want you to stop right here and notice who he's talking to. Who is he talking to? Who does the Bible say he's talking to? Talking to the Jews who had believed him. Talking to the Jews who are believing in what Jesus is saying, but they're having trouble with the way they think. I think... I believe often Christians have trouble with the way they think, even though they've become a new creation, even though they are who Jesus says they are, even though they've received a new identity as a child of God, they have trouble thinking correctly about who they are. And it keeps them from being free. It keeps them from understanding who they really can be. 
and what God has planned for them. So here he says, he says, if you hold to my teaching, the teaching of Jesus, and you're really my disciples, and then you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And then they answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we, sh- that we shall be set free? In other words, they're like, we're already free. All right, pause here for a second. Have the Jewish people ever been enslaved? Seems like I remember something in Sunday school. The Jewish people were enslaved for 400 years. And the whole Passover system and sacrificial system began as a picture of deliverance from Egypt. And yet these people, these people don't see it. These are God's people that Jesus is talking to. And they don't see that they are trapped. They don't see that they are enslaved themselves. They don't, they don't see it. They, they can't visualize it. They, they've, sort of, they've, sort of taken on, they've sort of taken on the mindset that we're, we're good. We're Abraham's descendants. That's what gives us access. That's what makes God happy with us. Jesus said, you're not listening to the truth God has another truth he wants you to understand. And, I, I, and so we continue to read here. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. What I want to teach you over the next six weeks is what it looks like to move from a slave to a son. Because there's a process there. Because... The next verse is so powerful. So if the son sets you free, if somebody with authority, if the son, the one who is in the family, the firstborn son of the family, Jesus himself, sets you free, you will be free indeed. Free indeed. Many believers are not free. They're stuck in bondage, but they're stuck in bondage because they don't even think they can be in bondage. Next week, I want to talk to you about what bondage looks like. We're going to talk about demons. We're going to talk about what that looks like. We're going to talk, can a Christian actually have a demon? I I knew an old pastor who said, I used to think Christians couldn't have demons, but I went to too many church board meetings. So we're going to talk about that. What does that look like? How does that work? What, how, how, how does it work in this kingdom of God? How to be free? Because the concept of freedom can be so elusive and the thief is always trying to get in another way. And so I think we've got to understand what Jesus said to begin to understand freedom. If you'll turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. Turn with me to Matthew 6. And you'll kind of stay there the rest of the, the, the message. Matthew chapter 6, and we'll start reading in verse 31. Verse 31 says, So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things. I just pause for a second. Eating, drinking, and wearing clothes, these are symbols of just common everyday life. Everyday life includes eating, drinking, and putting clothes on. There's a, there's a process here, and, and it's, a, it's, a, it's an illustration of life taking over and worrying about it and being obsessed with it and becoming consumed by it. And many of us have been consumed by just the routine of life. Jesus has something beyond that kind of life. 
that he's trying to introduce. So what does he say? He says, for the pagans run after all these things, and key phrase, and your heavenly father knows that you need them. He knows that you need them. Why are you so obsessed? Why are you so pulled down into this world, into this life that, that you're living? Verse 33, but seek first, everybody say first. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. What does this mean? Seek first his kingdom. Let me give you some language for that. Seek first the place where Jesus is king. Seek first to make sure your life is under the authority of the kingdom of the one who is king. Seek first to live your life in the kingdom where he rules and reigns. That he takes over. He takes over your life. What does it mean? To seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Some people think that means to live righteously. It does, but not in the way you might think. To live righteously doesn't mean that you live righteous, that you produce your own righteousness, that you live holy on your own. The only righteousness that you can live in is the righteousness that Jesus paid for, for you to live in. And subtly, what happens to lots of Christians who bring baggage into this new life with Christ is the thief comes and lies to them and begins to tell them, uh, nothing you have is real because you still have problems. You still got issues with living righteously. What would it look like not to let him beat you over the head with that? What would it look like for you to live a life that isn't mired down, weighted down with those kinds of things? Because here's the deal. You and I have to change our focus to live truly free. Because what you seek first, what you seek first organizes every other aspect of your life. What you seek first organizes every other aspect of your life. So if you seek to build a career first, you will organize the rest of your life around your career. And when the career is going great, you'll be feeling good. And when the career is going in the toilet, you'll be feeling terrible. Interestingly enough, whether, it, whether your career makes a lot of money or a little money, both have their, a massive set of problems, issues, struggles. So when, when you seek first something other than Christ, it organizes your life around it. Now, most people think about freedom and they wanna, they're thinking about their problems and they want to be free of their problems. And so we deal with our problems in a way that doesn't bring us to freedom but actually keeps us more enslaved. Here's what I mean. If we have a problem with depression and we begin to focus on trying to get free of depression, depression has just become the focus of our life. If we have a problem with anger... And, and we focus on anger, getting rid of our anger and trying to, to, to get rid of it. Anger has just become the focus of everything and everything begins to be organized around your anger. If lust is a problem in your life and you begin to focus all your attention on getting rid of lust, then it becomes the focus of your life. And sometimes, I, I believe in AA. I believe in that program because if you work the program really well, there is something that can really happen there. But if you're just working it, trying to get rid of your alcoholism because it defines your life, it, you, you still do not get free so often 
you can't get free because it becomes the defining characteristic of your life. The Bible defines it in a different way. When we seek the kingdom of God first, we tap into an incredible organizing force, an incredible power and presence that begins to deal with whatever problems we have. In fact, it doesn't just deal with the problems. It begins to use the problems to produce a godly character within us. It actually changes the way we look at the problems. We take all these things and all these changes we want to make in our lives and we surrender them to him. He becomes the centerpiece and then what happens is as he's the focus, he begins to work on all the other things. It's like, it's like sometimes even as believers, we're, we're like plugging in a, a, a radio or a blender or maybe it's unplugged and we're turning the dial and we're pushing the buttons but we can't get it because it's not plugged into the power. Jesus is the power source. The kingdom is the power source. The power source of the kingdom is everything. Every problem, every issue can only be settled there. So what does this look like? There's three levels I want you to think about of freedom. Because today my goal is to just get you hungry, thirsty, for what Jesus might do in your life. First level of freedom is freedom from bad definitions. Often we have a bad definition of freedom. And, and what you need to understand is we're made for freedom. Like, like our bodies crave food, we crave freedom. Humans crave it. We're wired for it. We're designed for it. Whatever we think will lead us to freedom, we will labor for it. But often we labor for the wrong things. We, we labor for the things that we think will give us freedom when in reality they just continue to enslave us. You can see a whole bunch of people laboring towards what they think will free them down on Town Lake, running around Town Lake, and they're, and they're trying to get their bodies under control. But what happens as they try to get free from their body controlling them is their body begins to control them even more. The more weight they lose, the better they look, the more they start to take pride in it, the more it begins to be in charge of everything. Do you see how it happens? It's good that they're not fat, right? I mean, that's, that's not bad. Sorry, political incorrectness rearing its ugly head. It's good that they're not overweight and unhealthy. Is that better? It's good that they're not overweight and unhealthy, but what subtly begins to happen is that's become the center of their life, and it turns wicked in the other direction. And they begin to be obsessed. So, most people think of freedom from the perspective of bondage, right? But the problem is, if the prisoner thinks that the problem is the bars <laughs> that he's behind, he's already stuck because the bars are there for a reason. <laughs> The bars aren't the problem. The activity that led to the bars are the problem. And so a, a, a definition is so important. If we think of freedom as the absence of something, think of freedom as the absence of anger, the absence of depression, the absence of something else, we're already going down the wrong track. I wonder if you could think about this. What if freedom is not the absence of something, but the presence of someone? What if true freedom doesn't actually come with the absence of things that you get rid of? The biblical definition of freedom is in 2 Corinthians 
2 Corinthians 3.17, you know what it says? It says that now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Wherever, wherever Christ is, wherever the Holy Spirit is, wherever God himself is in a person's life, wherever they give him permission to rule and to reign in his kingdom, there is freedom. So the question isn't getting rid of stuff. The question is, how deep will you let Jesus get into your heart and your soul? We receive Jesus into our lives, don't we? We receive him as our savior. We receive him as our Lord. But the question is not just receiving. What about those corners of your heart? What about the deep recesses of your soul? What about the struggle of your history and your past? Will you let Jesus go all the way? How deep will he get into our hearts is the question of freedom. Because wherever the spirit of the Lord comes and begins to take charge, freedom begins to rise up. And so we get this definition of freedom. It's not the absence of bad habits, not the absence of wrong thoughts. And often we're trying to get rid of things without putting anything in its place. The definition here is that Jesus, wherever he reigns, wherever he rules, the presence of someone. Number two, freedom to know the truth. Number two, freedom to know the truth. What, is, what does this mean? Because I know some truth, Pastor Ross, you might be thinking. I know the truth. In fact, I have people come to me in my, uh, you know, when I'm trying to deal with people who have habits or addictions or struggles, and, and they'll say to me things like, well, Pastor Ross, they just need to know more truth. They don't know the truth because the truth will set them free, so they haven't tapped into the truth. Actually, what if, what if the truth is not about what you know, but about how you know it? What if the truth isn't just about a set of facts? What if it's not just about a set of facts and a set of thoughts that you begin to adopt? That it's bigger than that, that it's greater than that. It's not what we think, but the way we think and begin to apply truth that really matters. It's like a, it's, it's like a sausage machine. Have you ever seen a sausage machine? Sometimes our thoughts, right? A sausage machine <laughs> produces sausage, no matter. you put in it, sausage comes out the other end.
It's like, it's like if you put beef in it, it's beef sausage. <laughs> if you put pork in it, it's pork sausage. <laughs> Sometimes we try to adopt facts and thoughts, and our thought process, we just try to deal with different thoughts than we had before, but the process yields the same results. Sausage keeps coming out. Have <laughs> you ever felt like that? I have. The kind of truth that sets us free are not just facts, not just doctrine, not just what we believe, but how we believe it. I'll give you an example. The Pharisees, the Pharisees were the religious leaders in Jesus' day, and they resisted him. They knew the scriptures better than anybody else. John 5.39 records what Jesus said to them. He said, you think that by knowing the scriptures, you can receive eternal life. But the, but the scriptures point to me, and yet you refuse to receive me. They had a way of looking at the truth, and they knew the truth. They knew the Old Testament scriptures. They knew the law and the prophets better than anybody else, and yet it produced death in both them and the people who they taught it to. Jesus was trying to get them to see something from a different point of view. He was trying to help them understand that how they apply this truth is so important. It's not just getting our facts straight. It's not just getting correct doctrine. Have you ever met a mean Christian? A mean Christian is somebody who knows the facts but has forgotten the way that the truth works. They no longer think in terms of freedom to know the truth. They just think in terms of the truth that beats people over the head. And they become themselves enslaved to cruelty and legalism. This is not what produces freedom. 1 Corinthians 2.16 says, For who has known the mind of the Lord so that we can instruct him? Paul says, who, who, who's, who's ever... Who, who has a mind that's big enough to get what God is doing? Because it's so massive, it's so big, how can we understand it? And then he says this little phrase, but we have the mind of Christ. In other words, believers, his children, his kids, he's given us the mind. That's a pretty lofty view. Lofty view of, I mean, we can, we can see the world the way God sees it. We can see it through the mind of Christ. We can receive the mind of Christ. All too often, I'm thinking about how to deal with my problems through the mind of Ross. How about you? I'm thinking about how I can, think, oh, I can apply this scripture here and I can do this. No, the mind of Christ gives us a different perspective of the truth and our problems. We've got to see everything from a kingdom perspective. See, seek first the kingdom, not just a vague abstract exercise, but something beyond it. A new revelation, here's what I'm aiming at. A new revelation often will set us free. A new revelation may not change our circumstances. It may not fix the, the actual problem, but it, but it sets us free because why? Because it changes us. Because it changes us. Because what happens is God comes into your life and deals with a problem, but the problem may not go away, but you begin to see that the truth of God is the thing that is applied within this circumstance that may not change the other person, may not change the problem, if it's financial or it's emotional on somebody else's part or, or some relational issue. Your marriage, it, any number of things. It may not fix the problem immediately, but what begins to happen is truth begins to change your life. That only happens by the revelation. That only happens by something that Christ does. 
focusing on him begins to shift everything to his, to his perspective instead of from ours. If you think about this, the second story in the Bible is Genesis 3. We don't have time to talk about it now, but in your groups, you can talk about it. You can, you can read through this passage. It's a brilliant passage. The second story in the Bible. You know why it's the second story? Because I think it, it speaks directly to how we think about how God works. It speaks directly about how the truth of God works. Because in the garden, there were two trees. And one tree was a tree of life. Everybody say life. In, and, and the other tree was a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Everybody say good and evil. So God told Adam and Eve, don't eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. He forbid them to do it. But he allowed them to eat from the tree of life all they wanted. But they ended up eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil because what the Bible says is the knowledge of good and evil looks good. It, it looks good. It looks satisfying. Trying to figure out what's good and what's bad for your own heart and for others. And, you, and even, even not, it's not just the knowledge of evil that can kill you. It's the knowledge of good too. Because here's how it happens. You start reading your Bible and praying every day. You start reading your Bible and praying every day, and suddenly you're like, hey, this is good. This works. This is awesome. I'm reading my Bible and praying every day. This and then suddenly this little pride starts getting him. I'm reading my Bible and praying every day. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, I am somebody. I am reading my Bible. I'm doing so good. I'm so proud of myself. I'm so and then suddenly, here's how it happens. It shifts, and you start saying, why, does no, why don't other people read their Bible and pray? Hey, do you read your Bible and pray every day? Man, I read my Bible and pray every single day. How come you don't? You really need to read your Bible and pray. You know, you can't really be a Christian unless you read your Bible and pray every day. You've got to read your Bible and pray every day. It's a rule. And suddenly, out of pride, you begin to beat other people up in their journey with what you're doing. This is how it works. It's not just applying good things and bad things. It's not just distinguishing between these two. What the paradigm of the scriptures, all through the scriptures, it begins with the second story in the Bible, and that is you've got to eat from the tree of life. You've got to eat of the bread of life. You have to eat not the fruit from good, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, not just getting more knowledge. It's not knowledge out of this book that we need. It's understanding who Jesus is and receiving from him. It's not about information, it's about a person. And so here it is, a revelation, knowing the truth. Freedom to know him. Number three, finally, freedom. Freedom to want what we need. I have found in my life that God often will not give me what I want, but gives me instead what I need. If you're a parent, you've had this experience with your kids. You, your kids want something, but you know it's not going to be good for them. And so you give them what they need, not exactly what they want. Have you ever had that? It's really hard when they're little, and then it's really hard when they're teenagers. Somewhere in the middle, it kind of makes sense, and they, they work it out. But there's something about this that's so difficult. It kind of describes the human condition. We want what we want. We want what we want with the best intentions. But God has something else. And I've, I've never, this, this principle is never so true when I, that when I think about my kids and having to get them shots. 
Right? Like, 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 take them to the doctor and they'll get a shot. And I know there's a whole anti-shot community around that's dealing with things. But, but the truth is, I, I take them, I take them and, and I, they, they, they're at the doctor and it's the first time. They're this little babies. They don't quite understand it. And they're sitting there on your lap and they have no idea what's about to come. And they're, they're like the doctor said. <laughs> and then the shot comes and they look at you with screams. What did you just do to me? <laughs> Often I think, it, I think we look at God the same way. The shot's going to help them. They just don't know it yet. There is a kind of freedom that settles that God gives us 100% of what we need no matter what. Hundred times out of a hundred, he's going to give you what he needs, what you need. He's never going to leave you without what you need. There is a level of freedom that comes when you understand, even in the midst of your struggle, even in the midst of the circumstances that you, that you have, that you can take pleasure in what God's provided for you, rather than just getting what you want. It's a powerful idea. The question is, can we trust him? I have a friend who has, um, her, is married to this woman, and, and, and this woman's great-grandparents were, they had tickets for the Titanic. They had tickets to ride the Titanic. And they were starting a new life in America, and they, they, they'd purchased these tickets, and, and they were really excited about this dream of going to America. And they missed the boat. They were late. They were late. And so you can imagine them standing there on the dock, fighting with each other, crushed, crushed because their dream had been crushed. It was a major expense, and they'd just seen it float away. They, they dreamed of a new life in America. They, they, this whole process had come crashing to a halt, and they were crushed. Their greatest dream was actually the worst possible idea they could have come up with. <laughs> Think of it. Their dream was the worst possible idea they could have come up with. And that's often true for you and me with God. We have a dream. But God's plan is to crush your dream so he can give you something even better. Sometimes it's to help you understand who you are. And, and sometimes this, this understanding that God has what you need instead of him just giving you what you want, this is a level of freedom that expresses maturity and a life that trusts in God and what he's doing. If you're still there at Matthew 6, check out verse 25. Verse 25 is the last scripture we'll, we'll read and then we'll, then we'll end. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink or about your body, what you'll wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable? Circle that word. Valuable. Are you, do you not have more value than birds? Do you not understand how valuable you are to God? Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? I like to say, I think my grandma said it. Worrying is like a rocking chair. A lot of activity, no movement. Doesn't get you anywhere. 
And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow? They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor is dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow's thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Trusting God to provide what you need is a level of freedom that I want to talk about and why we don't get there. Why do we trust in ourselves? Why, why is this so hard? We're going to talk about that over the next few weeks. And I want, you to, I want you to think about your own life. I want you to think about that thing that is held on for far too long. And I want to cause you to get hungry and thirsty for the freedom and the life that Christ wants to give you. Close your eyes, bow your heads, and I want him, let him speak to you right now. Let him speak to you. You might be here and you might be saying, Pastor Ross, I, I haven't made Christ the center of my life and I, I know I should and I need to do that today. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you forward, but I want you to have an opportunity to respond to him. I want you to pray to put him in the, in the center of your life today. Some of you, this is just a brand new experience. You, you're not even sure what it looks like to have a relationship with God. So, so you want freedom, but you've, found, you've tried to find it in other places, and it, it, it hasn't turned out for you. This is your moment to say yes to God. This is your moment to give him your heart. And if you'll join me, if you'll join me in a prayer, I want every one of us in this room to commit our hearts and our lives to the freedom, the life that God has for us. We gotta let go of some things. We gotta release some things in our life, but we have to change our focus and we have to change the way we think about things so that freedom can take hold. So I want you to pray this prayer with me. I'm gonna pray it out loud and you pray it internally in your own heart. You don't have to repeat after me. You just pray it from deeper than your heart because I think everybody, everybody has a new level of freedom that they hunger for. So Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the, the spirit Wherever the Lord is, there's freedom. We long for this freedom. We reach for it. We press for it. We labor for it. Forgive us for doing it in our own way. Forgive us for choosing things that will not actually produce freedom. For medicating our souls instead of relinquishing them to you. Releasing our hearts to you. Jesus, we want you to go deep into our hearts. We, we don't want to hold anything back. We want to surrender everything. Would you come and take us? Start us again. Give us a fresh start, a new beginning today. Would you help us to live a life of freedom that is defined by you? Not by what we think, not by our problems, not by what we're wrestling with, but by you. Lord, we thank you for this. And we give you ourselves. We thank you for forgiveness. We confess our dependence upon you. And we confess our sins and we thank you for washing us clean in Jesus' name.
Amen.